So um, it's, we're very privileged, I think, to have uh, Les Isaacs with us. I'd heard of the work of street pastors uh, many years before I ever met Les. In fact, I, I really only met Les when I um, sort of came to Beacon and, start, and sort of started to, I suppose, move in this area. And um, the thing I would say I, I've, I've marveled about him and, and, and loved about him is he started a work which is impacting right across the world. You'll know that at the Olympic Games, they had games pastors, and that comes from the same concept of street pastors, and you have school pastors, and you have all these different types of people that are going around different places. I know that just conversations I've had with him, how much um, uh, national breweries are really, are, re are really encouraged by street pastors because of the work they do outside of clubs and pubs at night. So that they're really, really behind it. And all of that stuff that Les has done, I think, is quite amazing. And yet, when I've met with him um, and been in privilege to sort of just chat to him and pray with him, at heart, he's a pastor and he loves the church. And he just loves being around the church. And, and I've loved that. Here's a guy that's made a difference nationally and internationally, but he loves the church. And so being around Christians to pray and being around local churches is almost like what he loves to do. And, and that has been such an encouragement to me. So, uh, Les, it is a real privilege to have you with us. Uh, why don't we welcome uh, Les Isaacs? Thank you and good morning to you all. Uh, it is a privilege and a pleasure to be here and to share with you all. And... Um, I think for me this week has been a bit of a roller coaster because just visiting that hospital and um, meeting some young people with the police there and uh, the emotions, and then going to the home and praying and just being there in that context. And um, over the last 20 odd years, I've lost count of how many young people I've had to bury and how many mothers and fathers I've had to comfort and how many young people who have been angry and, and sought uh, seeking revenge. And then I went down to Angel Town, and again, just seeing that played out, young men, at least 50 of them, some smoking weed, drinking, and you could see in their eyes the whole issue of revenge. And um, spoke to them, called them over, because for me, they're boys, they're sons, they are young people who are desperate and uh, are their whole lives uh, hopelessness surround. And I believe that in times like this, they need hope. And we, as a church, are hope. It's not about the color of your skin, your social class, what job you do. It's about Jesus, and it's about the gospel. And I want to encourage us that if ever there was a time when our society needed hope, is today. And we are the people who are going to bring hope to our society. One young guy, after I spoke to them, came up and hugged me and thanked me. Don't know the guy, don't know his name, never met him before. But you know, I often say to the church is this, unless we're prepared from the depths of our hearts to be like Jesus, we're messing around. Unless we're prepared to be like Jesus, whom we love and we serve and we worship, then we're missing something 
that is fundamental to our faith and to all that we believe. I've been a Christian, I'm not sure how long, it feels like 100 years. Um, so many things have been happening. Um, but I came to faith <clears throat> because of a Nigerian guy who had just finished three years of theological studies here. And two weeks before he went back to Nigeria, God divinely crossed our path in Holborn. And um, <clears throat> it was the week when I was contemplating killing my father because there were some domestic issues at home. And yet that day, that very day, I was looking to go to Warren Street to buy a, a machete. And I was anticipating going home as my father spoke to me to kill him. I had premeditated already in my mind that I was willing to go to jail. And that's a whole story. But on that day, I met a Christian, a Christian who was willing to share Jesus with me. I believe he was a Christian who was in the spirit, a Christian who was fearless, a Christian who was passionate about Jesus, and he spoke to me about Jesus. That just completely threw every intention out of the window. And that day as I was walking home from Holborn to Houston to Warren Street, God spoke to me. God ministered to me. God, in a powerful way, intervene in my life. I didn't go home and kill my father. I went home and felt on my knees and began to cry and began to ask God a lot of questions. This book, Dreadlocks, talks about my journey from the Caribbean to here. And it tells about how I was converted. But let me just say this. All of us are on a journey. All of us have a story to tell. All of us I've had experiences. And uh, I, I often tell people that when I came to this country in 1965, I discovered I was black. I, I didn't know it before, but I, I discovered it. And it was an interesting time. And so this, um, when I became a Christian and started to serve the Lord, I remember um, when looked at my wardrobe and remember I had some ganja, some weed in there, and threw it out. And I said, my prayer was, God, I want you to help me to serve you and to serve society and humanity. That was my prayer. I had come from a dead, dull church that I used to go to. I shan't mention the denomination name. But the only thing I felt that I got when I went to that church was woodworm in my posterior. <laughs> and um, now I'd received Jesus. I was passionate and I was excited. And the rest of it, it went on. And then my, this other book that I wanted, I bought some copies of, is called Relevant Church. And um, it was interesting because I never wanted to become a, a church leader. I never sought ordination, anything like that. I was just passionate about, you know, Jesus. I went to clubs, youth clubs, schools, on the streets. You know, I spent lots of time just going every place, talking about Jesus and going for it. And it was incredible, but... Um, my church leader um, saw something in me that I hadn't seen in myself, and, and we chatted, and then they decided to send me to theological school, and, and um, I started going to ministry. And it was interesting, my first year of being in the pastoral ministry, after the first year, I came to the conclusion that there were more Rockweilers in church than in the council estates. I didn't know people were so bad, Christians behaving badly. It shocked me, and I thought, God, 
they've conned me. <laughs> and I wanted to leave ministry, believe it or not. I wanted to leave it. But then I knew that God had called me. So I hung in there. And then it was a real challenge to get the church from inside of a building, you know, into the community. It was a real challenge. And um, I remember one Sunday, I preached in the morning, but there was a, a real festival taking place. And um, I, I felt over lunch that, hey, God was saying, this evening, don't have the meeting in church in the building, but have it outside. Take the church outside. And when the evening came and um, the elders came together, I said to them, guys, look, I really have a conviction that we need to be having church outside. And one of them said to me, um, uh, where am I going to sit? And I'm saying, flipping heck. There's 300 chairs in this building. Take any one of them. <laughs> and, um, you know, then the other one said, well, what about the evening's offering? You know? Now, there are thousands of people outside. And one of them worried, this is a leadership team, you know. One's worried, where are you going to sit? And the other one's worried about the offering. And the third one said, um, well, what about if, you know, what happens when we lock the church and somebody comes and we're not, the church is not open? And I said, guys, no one's come in the last two years. <laughs> you know, they haven't come. I'm not sure why they're going to come this evening. <laughs> and um, if they come, just put a note on the church saying we're in the park. That's all. And, you know, the challenge of making local congregation and Christianity relevant, I believe is the single biggest challenge that face us today as Christians. It's not that people don't want Jesus, love Jesus, or want to know Jesus. The issue is us as Christians. It's us. We are actually not relating. We don't actually have a bearing on the community and the society in which we live. And this book, Relevant Church, um, it's about my experience in early ministry at the age of 26 years of age and the challenges and the difficulties and how we had to turn and had to pray and had to work and, and um, deal with the demons in the building rather than the demons outside. But it happened and um, it was important. And this book is called Street Pastors. And um, it's interesting because for me, for me, what this has done, this has become a footprint for the church. You'll be amazed, and I'll just give you some anecdotes of what God is doing. You'll be amazed at the openings, at the conversions of the difference that the church has made in local communities because Christians have just had a visible presence on the streets. You'll be amazed. The incredible presence. Even right here in Brixton, in Lambeth, in Southern in Harringay, in Hackney, the, the, the difference, just the ch Christians being there one night a month, 12 nights over a period of one year, the difference it makes. One night, I, Mark, Michael Howard came here, and we met up just down in Angeltown, and, and we were talking, and then we went out on the streets together, and uh, we walked around the, as Council of States and end up near the pub in Brixton Atlantic Road, and a group of guys came up to us, and, and uh, Michael Howard said, um, what do you think of these guys, Speak, pointing to the street pastors? And one of the guys said, um, Mr. Howard, when we see these guys, we see God walk in the street. 
I thought, wow. Yeah. Wasn't, it was unsolicited. This came spontaneously from this guy. When we see the church, when we see these street pastors, we see God. Incredible. And then the door staff. I have door staffs in Brixton that anytime I go there, I've got to pray for them before I leave. They've got one eye open on the door and the other eye's closed. <laughs> but they want prayer. I'm laying hands on them and I'm praying. Why? Because they see us as their pastor on the night there. And so for me, you know, it is important that we get it right, that we understand that we are the church and that Jesus wants us to be salt and light and that Jesus wants us to be visible, not invisible. St. Augustine speaks about the invisible church, but actually Jesus wants us to be the visible church where people see us, they can touch us, and they can engage with us. And so these books are here. They, they cost five, well, because I'm here, it's five pounds, but um, no, I'm not giving them to you, but I'm just saying put them there. <laughs> and so please grab one if you'd like. And um, there's another book coming out called Faith on the Street, which, will, um, which we're going to um, release in, in May in Manchester. If you've got a Bible, turn with me to John chapter um, 21. John's Gospel, chapter 21 and verse 15. And my head in here is Jesus restores Peter. Jesus restores Peter. John chapter 21 and verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. I don't know, but I think Peter must have been overly embarrassed to be confronted on the beach at breakfast, and Jesus questioning his commitment to him. It must have been on-the-spot scenario. And you could hear the third time, where are you going with this, Jesus? You know that I love you. You know that I'm committed to you. Yes, I made a hash of it, as I usually do, but I made a hash of it. But you know, God, deep down, I do love you. And Jesus challenges him again. Simon, you need to go and tend to the flock, tend to the sheep. I want to just spend a little time just reflecting with the whole notion of what it means to be an authentic Christian in the 21st century. Because I believe today that the greatest challenge for us is authenticity as Christians. We have the World Wide Web. We have so much information. 
we're bombarded constantly with information. And people today genuinely are confused when they talk about the church. In fact, people are incredibly ignorant when you think and when they hear the church. I speak to senior police officers, and they have this notion that the church, you know, is a big building where there's a guy walking around with a long nightie on, and he has some sort of fireball in his hand, and that's church. You know, when you say to them about charismatic, they think, who's that? Is that a soap powder? You know, they don't know about the whole body of Christ. And I've had many conversations to say, well, actually, the church is not just in a big building or cathedral, but actually it meets in colleges, it meets in homes, it meets in pubs, it meets in schools. It even meets in people's front room. The church is a body of people who love Jesus, who are committed to Jesus, and who are passionate about Jesus. The challenge that we have is that we have so many Christians who are what I call 007, licensed to do nothing. They're undercover. They're embarrassed about their faith. They're not assertive. They're not convinced enough. They're, they like the safe space, the safe zone on a Sunday morning. But take them out of that, they struggle. And because of our struggles, people are confused. People are confused. Now, let me just say this, that when we love someone, we are passionate about them. Jesus was challenging Peter's passion for the kingdom, for the gospel. And when we talk about being authentic, we're talking about people who are passionate, who are committed, who are dedicated, and who are sold out unreservedly to the cause, who are sold out to Jesus. And we need to understand that in the 21st century, if we're going to turn the tide of people having clarity about Jesus, it means that all of us have got to be authentic. All of us have got to be passionate. All of us have got to be genuine Christians. All of us have got to be real Christians. All of us have got to be unquestionable Christians. Now, I'm passionate about Jesus. And it's not because I'm black I'm passionate about Jesus. I'm passionate about Jesus because actually Jesus has done something for me. First of all, he loved me. For God so loved this world that he gave. And he gave his love unreservedly, unequivocally for you and I. Could you imagine, and sometimes I get quite emotional, could you imagine, I say, Les, what would have happened if you had killed your father? What would have happened? So I'm grateful that Jesus came through. Jesus revealed himself to me at that point and prevented me from killing my own father.
Over 1.5 million people every year in this country suffer from abuse and domestic violence. Every day, every day, at least 11 agencies are getting called from women wanting shelters. It's a real issue. Family tensions are real. But Jesus saved me and delivered me from that. Now, I love my father. Actually, we had some issues there. So when I think about Jesus delivering me from that, I've got to be authentic. When I think about the fact that he has forgiven me of my sins, he has forgiven me of my sins. My sins that have separated me from God, my sin that have made me rebellious, my sin that have made me destructive and deceitful, my sin that, you know, um, created and caused the potential for me to kill and to do things that are not right. He has delivered me from my sins. He has forgiven me of my sins. When I think about that, I'm grateful. I've got to be authentic. Come on. Jesus has done so much for us. You know what I discovered many years ago? Some people can't get their head around Jesus for some reason. And yet we did. I did. He's not that guy with a long 90 and manicured toenail. He's real. He's powerful. He's powerful. He has changed our lives. Come on. We know what mess our lives were in. He's changed it. And so Jesus challenges Peter about his love for him. Jesus challenges him about his passion for him. And I want to say to all of us that if our Christianity is only about Sunday for an hour and a half, it's useless. If our Christianity is not relevant, it's suspect. If you and I are not passionate and madly in love with Jesus, there's something wrong with our faith. You know what the problem in the church today? Too many mediocre people come to church and we want blessings. We want good anointing. We want a good word. We become spiritually obese. Spiritually obese. We do nothing with what we've received. There's no change. There's no difference. We do it Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, week after week, and then we say we're busy with work, we're busy with family, and we fill everything of the love of Jesus with everything else. We've lost that power. We've lost that, that passion. We've lost that unquestionable. We've lost the reality of being real. And the bottom line is that we've lost our love. That's the bottom line. We've lost it. We really lost what it means to love and to serve and to be passionate about Jesus. We've lost it. And yet Jesus is calling us to it as he called Peter. There are three things that I want to just highlight in terms of being authentic. First of all, we have been called. And each and every one of us have been called for a purpose. That excites me. God has called me 
and called us for a specific purpose. He hasn't called us just to come to church and just to enjoy things, but he has called us with something that only you could do, all of us. We're unique. Come on. Do you remember one of the criterias, and we, we've got to understand this, that, you know, we're not just going to walk into heaven. There's the issue of, well done, you good and faithful servant. Come on, there's an issue there. We can't just leave it to our leaders and say, well, bless them, Lord, and let them carry on and do it. Each and every one of us have got to give an account. One day, our line manager in heaven is going to say, come on, let's see your performance. So it's not just in the industry that there's going to have, you know, some, some performance indicators to say how well we've done. God is assessing that because, you see, God has called us and he has given us something to do that only you can do. I'm amazed. I'm amazed even now how many Christians don't even want to pray. You know, our prayer meeting is the least attended meeting in the church's calendar. You don't need to be in the spirit to prophesy who's going to be there. <laughs> Come on. Christians have lost the edge. You lose, and we lose our authenticity because we are not getting close to Jesus. Listen, Jesus is the source. He motivates us. He enthuses us. He keeps us real. He's, he keeps us connected to the Father's heart. So when you and I sort of keep ourselves away from the prayer meeting, we're getting weaker. Come on. We need to pray. God does nothing but by prayer. And let me tell you something. I've learned to love to pray because it's the, my time of intimacy with the Father. Why am I excited about Jesus? Because I'm praying. The more I get before God is the more I recognize what God wants to do. The more I recognize I could do nothing with, without God is the more I'm re-energized. Is the more God affirms me. Is the more God anoints me. Is the more God gives me the strength physically, psychologically, and emotionally to get on with it. Is the more God does that. Because I want to pray. Every Tuesday I meet with a guy in Crystal Palace. We've been meeting for 21 years every Tuesday to pray. If we're not traveling, we meet for prayer. We're praying and we're praying. Because that's where I get joy, our strength. They that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. Listen, whenever people call prayer meeting, it doesn't matter what I've got. Man, I'm, I'm getting there. Because it's there God energizes me. It's there God strengthens me. So we are called. And we are called by God. And when God calls us, he calls us into his presence, into his grace, into his anointing, that we could run before him according to his will. It's interesting because I was in a nightclub in Wardour Street years ago before I became a Christian. I still go to nightclubs, but not to rave. I was in Tiger Tiger the other week, a couple of months ago in Haymarket, but that was a, a mission. And it's interesting because I was in this nightclub and um, many years ago, and you know, I was doing some naughty things, smoking my weed, and all of a sudden in the nightclub, God spoke to me. Now, I, I didn't know it was God, and I believed in a man and worshiped a man called Emperor Haile Selassie. 
But all of a sudden, I heard this voice, this audible voice. And as I, you know, came to faith and I began to reflect and I said, I said, what the heck was God doing in that nightclub? You know? You know what he was doing in that nightclub? He was looking for me. Do you know that? And let me tell you something. God's spirit is always at work. But he wants to work through us. So he has called us to come to him so that we may know him, but he has called us in actually to send us out. Remember that. God's called us to send us out. Then the second thing is that not only are we called, but we are chosen. We are chosen. For the first two years, I was trying to get in my head, God, why me? Why, why have you chosen me out of my brothers and sisters? Why have you revealed yourself to me? And I think of those wonderful words, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. And if God has chosen us, that's affirming. You know that? That's affirming. God has chosen us. Wow, God has chosen me. There are many times that I feel quite humbled, literally humbled. Why me? Because I look at myself and say, I'm not the best, but he's chosen me. And that's the reality. God has chosen you and I. And it's not just poor you. It's not that. It's that God saw you. As he said to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, before you were conceived in your mother's womb, I knew you. And you see, if we're going to recognize that we're authentic, we've got to recognize we've been called by God and we've been chosen by God for a purpose. We've been chosen by God. Watching the Sochi um, Olympics and watching all those people just performing and, and really competing. There was something about them that we were the best in our nation and we had to perform. There was a drive. There was a drive. As they were skiing, I was thinking, man, that's pressure point. But they were going. They were going. They were going. Because something in their psyche, something in their whole being that says, listen, I've been chosen to represent my nation, and I'm giving it my all. We want some of that. God wants some of that in the church. Where we're excited about, hey, I'm a Christian. God has chosen me. Now, God is not looking for nutters, okay? God is looking for sane people, but people who are passionate about who they are. Passionate about who they are. We're chosen. I was in a meeting in Scotland Yard and um, meeting with all these guys up Scotland Yard. There was more brass than allergy has ever had on him. And... Um, after this meeting, we were there with about 25 of us around this big table. And um, when I go to these meetings, I say, hey, listen, I'm not just here just to, you know, meet with these guys and talk. But there's a significant. There's some purpose here. There's something significant about being in places. And thought, God chose me to be here. Anyone could be here. And I said, guys, I know that some of you have no faith. I know that some of you may be of other faith, but what I want to do as a Christian leader, 
as a Christian minister, first of all, I want to say on the behalf of the church, thank you all for serving London. Everybody went, wow. You could just see, you know, thank you. Thank you. And then I said to them, as a minister, I want to pray for you all. I want to pray that God will protect your family because police officers have a high divorce rate in the police service, very high. I said, I want to pray for your relationships, for your family. I want to pray that you'll be protected as you go on patrol. And everybody put their head down, and I prayed. And afterwards, a guy came up to me, he said, I, it's evident that you believe what you preach. Come on. Sometimes we're working in our companies and we think, if people know we're Christian, they're going to crucify us. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of people out there in industry are looking for people with integrity and transparency and have a conviction about who they are. They're looking for it. I tell Christian business people, we've got to be the best when we come to business. And when we're the best, people respect us. But also, we need to be open about our faith. What motivates us is not money. It's our faith in Jesus. He gives us the ability to be thorough, to give us insight. We need to be at the place where we're saying we are called by God. And wherever I serve or work, that's where God wants me to be authentic. Because we've been chosen. And then they are faithful. If you're authentic, you've got to be faithful. I love this prayer by Mother Teresa. The fruit of silence is prayer. The fruit of prayer is faith. The fruit of faith is love. The fruit of love is service. The fruit of service is peace. We need that. We need to understand that God has called us to be faithful. Faithfulness in service. Faithfulness in serving in our local congregation. Faithfulness in serving in our community. I decided as a church leader that some 14 years ago, I need to understand what was happening in my community, in our borough, in our city. And it's interesting because to do that, I had to recognize that there was 24 hours in a cycle. You know, makes up a whole day and night, 24 hours. So often we operate from maybe 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 until 6 in the evening. And if we go to the theater, we get back home quickly. But there's a period between 10 o'clock and 4 o'clock in the morning that the majority of Christians are not there. Now, I have met some Christians who have been out there, and some of them have been a bit worse for wear. We've had to just, do you want to pay a flip-flop, mate? <laughs> you know, incredible. But let me tell you something. I went walking on the streets, and I thought, let me go and see what my street is. And I want to just challenge you guys. You're here. People travel from all over 
to come and buy drugs in Brixton. They come from West Country. They come from some of our public schools. They, you know, they, they're from everywhere. They come on the tube. They come in taxis. They come on motorbikes. They come in minicabs. They come to Brixton. Brixton Southwest 9 is a trendy area. Okay? And yet, you see, Southwest 9 needs Christians who are going to be authentic. Christians. And I said to myself, let me tell you something. I'm going to get out there and be salt and light. I would love to see Christians, you know, getting out there, just having their guitar in the summer months are coming up and just going for it, just, just hanging out with some guitars and just chatting and just playing and just hanging out, just engaging people, having conversations, having conversations, walking and meeting people, meeting groups of guys and just talking to guys. It's not about fear. Because here the Bible says, perfect love casts out all fear. It's about engaging. And let me tell you, when I went on the streets at night, I met all kinds of people. And I still meet all kinds of people. I meet pub owners. I meet nightclub owners. One nightclub owner, um, particular nightclub, said to me, you can have my nightclub to do anything you want in half term. 2,000 seats at nightclub. Capacity. My challenge was I couldn't find a church who could take it over during half term and the six weeks holiday to use it. The fridge that used to be just here down the road, when it was the largest homosexual venue in London, we decided let's go and have a prayer meeting in the fridge. In fact, I've had two prayer meetings in the fridge Sunday evening. The first time we went there, a guy came up to us and we said, look, um, we're a group of church leaders and we would like to use this place as a prayer meeting. He looked at us. He said, do you know what this place is? I said, yes, it's the fridge. He went to see someone in a room, and he came and said, 3,800 pounds. That's what he told us, to rent for the evening. So I quickly became an Anglican. <laughs> I said, I will not pay that. It's in my parish. <laughs> he went away again. He came and he said, you can have it for 850 pounds. I said, fine. What I didn't realize that the guy I was speaking to, his father, was a vicar. You see, I was in the spirit. And so when I said parish, he understood that. And he went back, he said, you can have it. He had 100 speaker boxes there, two bars on over two floors. What more can you want? Security as well. And so I was in this place, and we met together. And, you know, it was interesting because the Anglicans came. The Methodists came. The Baptists had a vote before they could decide to come. <laughs> you know? The Pentecostals wouldn't come because they said there were demons in there. <laughs> okay, the Charismatic was excited. We, we just got in there. But it was interesting because that evening, I, as I was there, I was saying to myself, how is it going to go? You know, because some Christians, when they, don't want to, when they disagree with some, something, they have a nice way of you know, putting it in a spiritual context and nice it up with prayers. And, and I was scared that some of them may, you know, really offend the people who owned it because obviously it was run by a lot of guys who were gays. I didn't go there to pray against gay. I went to pray for my city and my community. And it was interesting. I was there just reflecting and the, the band was there. Um, during the afternoon, my wife and a team led some prayers downstairs for three hours. And I took some guys upstairs and we led some prayer for three hours. And we were there, you know, just praying and just clearing that place out. 
by the time we were ready for the meeting, the atmosphere was different. The band was playing, and I was there just, just thinking through before we start. This lady came in. This black woman came in. And, you know, she came in. I noticed this woman because she had a, a red, red big hat on. This hat was enormous. Seven of us could take shelter under this hat. <laughs> you know? And she had a handbag. It was red. Big handbag. If she hit you with that, you think, man, some world champion hit you with that. And she had a red dress on, and she had a red shoes on. Now, I looked at her, and she walked in, and she said, I come to defrost the fridge. <laughs> but when I looked at her clothing, I understood the theology. She came covered under the blood. <laughs> you know, that was her theology. But, you know, it was interesting because I said to myself, I wish there were more Christians like this woman. Our society is dark, then we need to bring light. Our society is in chaos, then we need to bring peace. Our society needs clarity, then we need to bring truth. Jesus wants us to come and to be faithful to it. Let me conclude with this. This is what William Booth said some years ago. He preached this sermon. He says this, Whilst women weep, as they do now, I will fight. Whilst children go hungry, as they do now, I will fight. Whilst men go to prison, in and out, in and out, as they do now, I will fight. Whilst there are drunkard left, whilst there are poor, lost girls upon our street, Whilst there remain one dark soul without the light of God, I will fight. I will fight to the very end. That's an authentic Christian who says, I will not sit down, but I will stand up and I will be what Jesus has called me to be. I will stand up. I will engage. I will be fulfilled. I will love God with all my heart. And yet I will serve my society, my generation, under and in the power of God. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you because I believe God is calling you. Do you love me more than these? I want to pray that God will release you as he released Peter that morning on the seashore. And as he released him, he went on to the prayer room. He went on to preach sermons. He went on to establish a church that we've seen today that is still being established. He went on to do great things because he allowed the Lord to touch his heart.